Welcome to Casual Talk Radio Podcast found at casualtalkradio.net. My name is Leister, I'm your host. Thank you for dialing in today, whether you're an existing subscriber or a new listener. We welcome everybody. Got a couple things to get out of the way first, and then we're going to get right into our topic for today. Casualtalkradio.net. That's our website. Check it out for all of our different podcast episodes, past and present. We're constantly making updates. We're refining the website experience. If you have any feedback, we'd appreciate hearing it. You can hit the contact link at the top, fill out the form, come straight to us. You can also leave us a voice message if you want to leave your thoughts on audio, and it may be played on the air. Who knows? Let's go ahead and get into our topic for today. Good morning for those in the Western time zones and a very happy Memorial Day for those who are in the United States, day that we uh, honor those who died um, serving the country. And I know there's been a lot of controversy, specifically during COVID, around our war situation, our troops, how they were treated and everything else. My name is Leister. I'm your host. If you're new, welcome. Today's episode primarily will focus on two things. One, I want to speak about Memorial Day give us some personal side things about that that I didn't know, and then talk about this debt situation because that's coming very close, and I think it's worth chatting through from a different perspective. But first, Memorial Day. I didn't know until I started doing some really deep research just how many people in my history, my ancestry, my tree, served. And they have, I say almost to a T, there are some outliers, but almost to a T, they have the there's markers that are put up in cemeteries to their, their do it because they're veterans, right? And so I hadn't, you know, when I started doing the research, it's like, geez, so many people served. Whether they served briefly or extended didn't matter. One of the distant relatives actually served until a very old age, then got drafted back in <laughs> to serve again. I like, I think he was like 60 or 70 years old. He was drafted to come back again. So there's a rich history in the ancestry with the military and the joke I'll say joke now in hindsight, because it's, you know, when I was younger, I told myself, if I can't get and hold a job, I will join the, at the time, Air Force. Not because I felt like I wanted to go. It was not something I wanted to do. It was, if I can't hold a job, if, if I literally cannot hold a job, this is around 2000-ish, but if I can't hold a job, I will join the Air Force because I'm at that point of no return. So I have a friend, he went to the Army. I have a different friend, he went to the Navy. I have a person who was a friend, he went to the Marines. He married a girl who was my friend, she went to the Marines. Uh, Another friend, he's in the Army National Guard. I have a different friend, I think she's in the, I think she's Marines as well. And I dated a gal at one point who was Marines, uh, Marine police. So I was surrounded, I was surrounded by it. And then of course in my ancestry. So for me, the practice, right, the honoring and the celebration, I don't do the, you know, barbecue and all that at this point, but I do recognize the day as what it is. And I think people don't understand because it's not broadcast in the media. People don't understand that Memorial Day doesn't really care what gender you are. It doesn't really care what race you were. It doesn't care about anything other than the fact that you served and you died as, as part of service. So it's one of the very select few holidays that you can honestly say it didn't matter where your race, creed, color, him, nor her. It was one of the select few. All the rest of them have some sort of a lean, right? Martin Luther King Day. 
That one leans towards African-Americans because of the whole situation in civil rights, et cetera. George Washington, right, leans largely on the opposite side and even, I would say, British. Like, they're everyone that has a lean. But Memorial Day, Veterans Day is another one where there are certain days where it didn't matter, race, creed, color, him, nor her. And so I look at those, and it's sad that our government historically has not put more strength behind it. You're like, well, it's a federal holiday, banks are honoring it, and companies are closed. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you think about the importance of what it means. To me, it shouldn't be a single day. To me, it should be a set of a period of time over time because you have to look at the period that this all started, right? So from this started in the 1860s-ish, all the way through, all the way through to now. Well, if I think about everything that went up into it, I got to think, man, more than one day has to really apply. And I would rather see that we say like Black History Month, right? We, we take the whole month and we recognize these things. And then they, then they appropriated for, you know, LGBTQ rights in a different month. And so you, you have these, right? But again, those lean one way or the other. Black History Month leans towards African-American history. No problem with it. The LGBTQ leans towards that history. Okay, but why not a month to celebrate veterans? Why not a month to celebrate those that are serving? And to me, I would even go to the extreme. I would say that the celebration of those who serve and those who passed in the line of service is really kind of an ongoing thing, not just annual. I would even say there should be at least one day in every month where we celebrate them because that's an ongoing thing. Even when we're not in wartime, remember they do a lot of other things other than go to war. So I don't know that they, in my opinion, this is only my opinion, however I rant, I don't think they get enough recognition to the degree I think they deserve for what it is that they do. So that's just my thoughts on that one. And again, a very happy Memorial Day. Now I want to talk about this whole debt thing. I briefly mentioned it about the whole plain chicken. I've talked about it multiple times. I, I wanted to go into deep roots about the technicals from dumbing it down because I think people might, especially younger folks might not understand why the inefficiency is what it is and why it seems so hard for them to sort it out and why it always ends up being a battle of chicken over and over again. So I'm going to do my best to simplify this down. And just to give some background, I have, I have college education. It is what it is. But my understanding of it is because I've done, you know, studies over and over time as well, I've recognized it's really no different than how businesses work with the exception that past governments have slipped things in that have made this process more complicated than it arguably needed to be. So it all starts with a federal budget. Federal budget, of course, is for bills to be paid, is for money to be made available, is for programs to be funded. By and large, this is what we're talking about. We're saying that there's money that needs to be made available to make stuff happen. At a simple level, that's what we're talking about when we say federal budget. Now, I want you to compare this to your own personal budget. In your personal budget, you know that you've got to make money available for any loans you have. You've got to make money available for any credit cards that you may own. You've got to make money available to have your kids go through school. You've got to make money available for bills to be paid. You've got to make money available for you to have a roof over your head. You've got to make money available for food on your table, etc. 
These are things you know you must have. You then will compartmentalize these into segments, your housing expenses, utility bills, for example. Loans is usually debt, right? It's money that you owe, and so you're paying it back. You might have money that you borrowed from somewhere or someone. I don't mean from a bank. I'm talking from like a friend or something else. That You have to pay it back, right? So that's debt in a form. You might have student loans or loans that you took on behalf of your kids. You have money you have to spend for your kids to go to school. You have money you need to spend for clothing. Clothing has to be replaced at times. Utility bills and so on. And all of this together creates your own budget. Your budget usually fits into different segments. You'll have monthly budget things. You'll have annual budget things. And then you always want to have a nest egg. Well, I want to have money that's set aside for incidentals. Something might come up. Could be medical bills, could be travel, whatever. I usually want to have a set of money set aside for these things over here. All of these then together, if you're doing it the way you're recommended to do it, create your own budget. Well, I want you to think about what happens if you don't pay your car bill. Well, they're going to come take the car away (laughs) at some point, and your credit's going to be ruined if it's a loan. That's part of the thing. So you know I got to pay it because of this. You have a choice, assuming you have the money, to pay the car off. You'll usually know when you can pay the car off, but that's based on your budget. It's based on how much is being spent in different areas. Let's say that you have, you know, your food expenses. For the most part, you're buying just enough food to carry you for a finite period of time based on the number of mouths you got to feed. That's usually about a month. So you'll say, okay, I got to spend $500 a month on food. That 500 takes care of what? Well, that means that we can't be having fancy filet mignon and all this stuff. We have to kind of slim stuff down. We can't go to fast foods. Or if we do, we have to do it less often than we'd like to. We can't go to fancy restaurants as much as we used to. You got to think about fuel. If you have a regular gas vehicle, you got to think about fuel. If you commute to work back and forth, you can kind of predict how much it's going to cost you to keep your car filled up on a routine basis. Well, then your incidentals is the one that's very difficult to predict. You can't know if somebody, you know, falls and breaks their leg or somebody gets ill and they need to go to get some medication or something. You can't plan for every single thing. You also need to account for the -the over-the-counter stuff, the stuff that's in your medicine cabinet, you know, making sure you got pain medications, making sure you got flu medications, making sure you got cold medications. Anything that you can think of, you're, you're ideally going through this list of everything that your money needs to distribute to, and none of them can really fall out. You need to have these things going. Then you get your optional things. And let's be honest, and I know I'll piss some people off, but these are optional things you choose to spend money on. Your cable bill is an optional spend. You choose to spend money on it. No, even for the news, you don't technically need to. You can get an antenna for 40 bucks, 50 bucks, plug into your TV and have access to local and largely federal news. It's mostly regional, but there are some federal news baked in there. So if it was just about news, you could do it without that bill. You choose to keep that bill. Your Netflix subscription, you choose to keep it. ESPN Plus, Disney, all these subscriptions you choose to consume. Your internet bill largely is, I would at this point argue, not discretionary. It's not optional. You pretty much have to have it. If you're trying to apply for a job, they're forcing you to go onto a site and fill out a garbage application these days. You can't really just walk in and fill out a paper application to be done with it. So I would argue that internet is a required utility, no different than your water bill and electricity bill, right? But the speed of internet starts to get optional once you get past the threshold. Here's my technology hat coming on. 
I would argue that the minimum acceptable internet, and I'm talking downstream, upstream, the minimum acceptable internet these days is 10 megs down, three megs up. Minimum, and I stress minimum, because it depends on how many people in your home are consuming internet at a given time. I have a small internet provider because I'm in the plan of trying to move, and it's minimum, it's bare minimum. I think it's like three, three megs and one up. It's like bare minimum because it was designed as my backup internet, but because I'm moving, I'm using it as the primary temporarily till I can get out of here. It powers two, my two uh, endeavors, plus all my smart home stuff. And it does a decent good job, but I can't really do anything while I'm on the clock. So I can't do any personal downloads or personal updates or personal messaging or any of that kind of stuff while I'm on the clock. For now, it's fine. But for the way I use it as a power user, it's not going to be sufficient. So I have to budget a higher internet plan when I get out of here. I have to account for that in my monthly. It's not crazy amounts of money, but I have to account for it and account for having my backup again. This is unique to me, though. In your situation, you might choose to have two different internet providers, one doing your smart home stuff, one doing everything else, or maybe one for the home general and one for gaming, because maybe you got kids that do online gaming. Think about the kids right now who were learning from home and the stress that put on internet because they didn't bother budgeting for internet plans to account for that need. Now, from a cost perspective, you weren't spending the gas to go from A to B because people are locked down, people working from home, but you now have put a load on your internet and it becomes more critical, whereas gas becomes less so. Food likely goes up because now you're not reliant on like school lunches and that sort of thing. These are all, all this that I'm talking about is the decision that goes into a proper budgeting plan. Fast forward and now we get to the government. Theirs is basically the same thing. Conceptually, it's the same thing. You have three different categories in their mindset at a high level that go into the budget that they consider. And first is what they refer to as mandatory spending. Programs that they have said, we must spend on these. These programs are what they are and it's required by law and they're not gonna go away anytime in the near future. You may recognize some of these names, Social Security, Medicare, veterans benefits, trying to take care of our veterans, and then other law mandated types of spend. And there's quite a few of them. I'm not going to go through the full list of these, but these are by law. We must pay these things. Part of this mandatory spending does include defense budget. And the messaging that spins around social media frequently is we spend the vast majority of our money on the military. The truth is, is that the military is one of, not all, one of the mandatories, but it's a total package. It's not just defense budget spending. Defense budget spending is somewhat significant, but you have to look at all programs equally. And they are roughly about three quarters of all of the funding that's made available is in these mandatory spends. What people have started talking about is, well, why is defense even that much as part of this budget, and it's the largest chunk of what's there. The truth is, Social Security right now is at bare bones, and it's estimated that in the next couple of years, it's gonna be insolvent, which means that people will only get 60% of what they're entitled in these Social Security payout benefits. Because Social Security, let's be honest, is effectively a Ponzi scheme. As you pay, so myself, let's say, the money that I would pay into Social Security today is there to fund people that come after me, the younger folks. So I am, all of us are paying forward, right, is what that is. There are people that came before me that are paying mine. 
your entitlement to get that money comes from you going to work. So you have to go to work. Like that's a definition of a Ponzi scheme because you have to go to work yourself, which if you're doing it as a full time, you're paying into social security. It's automatic. You can't not do it. And you're supposed to be paying into it for all of the others, for any contract work, or if you're an employer, you're supposed to be submitting on behalf of your employees. All of these are obligations that you have. So when you do this, then as you work at some point, you will be made eligible for social security benefits. The amount of it is then based on how much money that you made, which then is contributing to the people that come after you. So think about it. The more that you put in, the more that you're eligible to receive, but then the more that you're paying for people to come after you with the assumption it just keeps continuing. Well, what happens when people find it harder to get jobs? If it's harder for people to get jobs, that means there's less people paying into Social Security. If it's harder for salaries to go up or it's harder for people to get those higher salaries, it means less money's going into it. As more people work older ages than we used to in the past because we lost pensions, it means it's harder for people to then sustain the system on time, which is why they feel it's insolvent. And there's never been an increase in the Social Security. Well, there was very long ago, but I'm talking a significant increase in Social Security to where it could sustain. Because the truth is, is that more people are working than were before, and they're working to an older age, but the salary is not going up commensurate with. That's why the whole fight for 15 and everything was doomed to fail. Because we haven't solved the real problem, which is that the salaries across the board from the employers never kept pace with the cost of living and the loss of pensions, which was the gap, because once you had pensions, it was filling the gap that Social Security didn't need to. Now that you don't have pensions, you're relying on 401k. 401k is volatile. It's subject to the whims of inflation, subject to the whims of the, of the industry, and it's not as reliable or predictable as some of the other things that we've lost over time. So now people are saying, well, they're going to get rid of Social Security was never in the conversation, was never part of the plan. What they're trying to do is identify how can we cut spending in different places where it's no longer necessary, and I'll get to where they were trying to target some of those cuts and why nothing was ever going to really truly be cut. So mandatory spending was always the case, always going to be the case, and is the largest chunk, and it's the easiest target for spend. The second is discretionary spends. Discretionary spend is an agency says, you know what, we plan in the next six years, we're going to spend a billion dollars a year. They basically just request the approval to spend is really what it is. It's kind of on paper. They request the approval. So when we had during COVID, some of these, you know, the quote stimmies and all these things to say, we want to spend this much money to do this. And they allegedly made money for businesses during the pandemic situation. And then people weren't able to get access to the money because when Biden came in, he made it harder to get access to the money then they have this money out here that says, yeah, we put together over a billion dollars and nobody's getting it. Doo, doo, doo. Well, the truth is they made it hard to get it. That's all part of this business, that they choose to spend this money for some reason, whatever the reason is, and then there's an approval to do this. This is only about a third of all the funding, so it's not a significant amount of money, but there's opportunities to reclaim some of the money There's because it was never actually spent. There's opportunities to reallocate. There's opportunities to remove some of these approvals that weren't really needed. Did you know there's approvals for things like painting stuff and trees and all these that they're not really needed, certainly not urgent. They're not priority. They're not the forefront number one that we should really focus on. The last piece is interest on existing debt. And of course, this is a small chunk, but it's something to look at. 
So as you accrue debt of any kind, whatever the debt, whatever the source, obviously there's interest on the debt, just like your loans. There's interest that you're charged. So the longer you go without paying the debt off, the more it costs you for said debt. There's a lot of debt that's out there, and so there's interest applied against this. So if you don't pay that off and you can't because you, you're only running slim to very slim, rigid targets, you can't pay the debt off, which means your interest is just accruing, 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 and putting you in the negative. The story there is that George, uh, George Bill Clinton, <laughs> Bill Clinton, he was one of the first to actually balance the budget and get us in the positive for a brief time, and then presidents after him started spending willy-nilly again. The big thing here with the presidents and why we're always playing chicken is because there's statements made about they're going to cancel Social Security, they're going to cancel Medicare, they're going to cancel VA benefits. None of that was true, but they are looking for opportunities to slim down how much are spent on those different services where we can because it's the largest chunk of all spending. But they're looking for waste. They're looking for inefficiencies. They're looking for things that don't necessarily contribute to the benefit for Americans. With the discretionary, these are low-hanging fruit. The problem is, is that it's not spent money. It's money that's allocated to be spent. So they look for opportunities to deallocate those, depermission those, remove those from any assignment, and in some cases refuse to allocate funds for you know two, three, two, three years or something to let the budget kind of recover itself and free up some money so that we're not just creating these allocations and then either it gets underspent, unspent, or nobody remembers that it was allocated. Interest is something that they're trying to get rid of, even though it's a small chunk of it. The goal is not to get to full net positive. The goal is to get it to where we don't go further in the red because all you're doing is kicking the bill down the road to people that come after us. So when you see on social media, and hopefully you're not on social media, but if you see on social media this narrative that they're trying to get rid of Social Security, that's the big one. They're trying to get rid of Social Security. They're trying to get rid of Medicare. They're trying to get rid of benefits. They're trying to get rid of this. They're not trying to get rid of any program. They're mandated by law. What they are trying to do is identify waste throughout all of these different spends and get rid of them. And the waste, that's where the subjectivity comes in and where the party lines are drawn. As an example, there was money allocated for the whole Green New Deal. Even though the Green New Deal itself was garbage and wasn't signed, they still allocated money for all these different things. Things for like wind farming, things for green this and you know trees this and all this that... I mean, it's, you're sneaking stuff in there that you're trying to basically make the Green New Deal without making the Green New Deal. Things that say, okay, we're going to shut down these coal mines over here, and we're going to shut down the Keystone Pipeline thing over here, and we're going to shut down this over here, that you're basically dancing to get your agenda, but you're using the budget to do it when that's not what it's intended for. And it costs jobs in other sectors. When it costs those jobs, what happens? There's an impact on Social Security because nobody, less people are paying into it. There's an impact on Medicare because less people are paying into it and so on. So when you're doing things that gut jobs over here and then they say, well, it's going to create jobs over here, deep, 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 those jobs then require what? They require highly skilled people. People, whether it comes from education formal or education informal, let's say it's the college people and you go to STEM degrees. Now you're talking, you're basically passing the buck over to the Department of Education because those people are going to have to take loans in order to pay those. Many of those loans don't get paid back because they don't make enough money and so they hit the deferment limits, that's money that we don't get. That's interest we don't get paid. Or in some cases, they're a full forbearance or something else. Like you got to think of it's robbing Peter to pay Paul. So the push to do this over here, when you slip it into the bill because you think that that's going to support your agenda, is always going to have an impact somewhere else. 
And the question is, is that simply shifting a debt burden over to a different group inside the government? This is what, at least on the Republican side, they're trying to corral and say, let's cut down waste. And it may mean that we got to kind of run belt tight for a while, just like with your personal budget. We got to kind of slim it up because we're getting out of control. Whereas on the other side, as has been the case historically, let's just print more money and print more money and print more money. All that's going to do is increase inflation, which gets passed down to you and passed down to your kids and your grandkids. So I'm not telling you which way to think or lean or believe. I'm telling you at a high level, the way that you're doing budget is really no different than the way you personally do the budget with the one notable exception. You don't have the flexibility of just printing money at will in order to pay all the bills. If you could, there'd be no reason to have any bills because nobody would have to work because nobody has to work. Nothing else would get paid. Something to think about. That's all we've got here today on Casual Talk Radio, Gentleman's World. Hopefully it's been informational, educational, and helpful for you. We upload every Monday and Wednesday, so we'll be back for our next episode. Whether you're a subscriber or not, we appreciate you for dialing in today. We know you've got choices. We will be turning back on our guest cadence. We are doing the screening process. That's coming very soon. Keep up to date with what we're doing at casualtalkradio.net. You can also subscribe at the bottom to get alerts whenever there's a new episode posted, or you can add it to your platform of choice. For now, take care, and I will see you on our next upload.